he has uh, served out here a handful of times leading us in, in worship, and um, I'm excited to uh, announce today, Ben's been with LifePoint for a very, very long time, right, since 2007, 2007 <laughs> right? And so just want to let you know, uh, Ben's been praying about it, we've been praying about it. Uh, ben has uh, agreed to, to hang with us for about the next six months or so and lead us every Sunday in, in, in worship, so we're so grateful that he's going to do that. He's going to hang with us a bit before he goes off to school for ministry to be to learn more and more about being a worship pastor. But we're grateful to have him here week in and week out. So he's uh, answered a prayer in this in this time for us, and just want to encourage you go ahead and uh, say hi to him and, and maybe shake his hand and let him know how grateful we are to have him as as you leave today. But again, let's welcome Ben to the team. Well. What a difference a few weeks makes, right? I mean, Christmas Eve, we're like 60-mile-an-hour winds, minus 30 degrees, snow drifts all over the place, right? Level 2, level 3, pipes freezing. Hopefully you didn't have that. You know, I heard stories of folks like they couldn't get above 55 degrees in, in their house. And, and then this past week, we get 60 degrees, right? It's just amazing. Ohio's so wonderful, but great to have you with us this morning. It's just awesome. Um, and, uh, but it's great to be back with you. It's great to be back with you. It's great that you can come in safely today and not have to navigate all the, the snow and, and ice. And if you're new to LifePoint today, I saw a, a handful of new folks walking in. Thank you so much for choosing to, to be with us today. want to ask you just, just one special favor. You can go ahead and get out your phone. That's okay to do here. You can get out your phone. You can open up your web browser, and you can head to lpguest.com. That's lpguest.com. Or you can kind of take a shortcut and use your phone to scan that QR code in the back of the chair in front of you. And that's going to take you to a handful of, of helpful resources. Probably the most important for you today is it's going to take you to some message notes for this morning where you can track along with scripture and some key points and even take your own notes to save for later. It will also take you to a, a digital guest card that takes less than 60 seconds to fill out, and that'll just let us know that you visited with us today. At the bottom of that digital guest card are five ministries we're already partnered with. You can choose the one that means the most to you, and we'll make an additional $5 donation in your honor just for you being here today. So we're grateful that you've chosen to, to join us this, this morning. Because today we're starting a brand new series called Not Without Hope. Uh, we will be in 1 Thessalonians, and what we're going to attempt to do each week over the next five weeks is take a chapter of 1 of Thessalonians and, and pull something out of it or walk through that chapter together um, as, as we meet uh, in, in the mornings. And so um, with the series title being Not Without Hope, I thought a great place to start would be with just kind of talking about the word hope, okay? The definition of the word hope is, is this. It means to trust in, to wait for, to look for, or to desire something or someone. It means to expect something beneficial in the future. Now, I think that's important for us to kind of start there because I don't know about you, but I think most of the time when we use the word hope, we, we associate it with doubt, right? We associate it with doubt. We say things like, I hope so, or I hope my team wins this weekend, or I hope it won't rain tomorrow, or I hope there's some coffee left in the lobby when we're gone so I can make it through the rest of the day, right? We attach doubt to the word hope all, all the time, right? 
But what's interesting, when we look at the Bible and how the Bible kind of defines hope, it's the complete opposite. The Bible defines hope this way. It has a confidence with it, a security with it. Whenever the Bible uses the word hope, it, it uses it with, in the sense of there is no doubt attached to it. We could define biblical hope like this. We could say it's, it's a confident expectation or assurance based upon a sure foundation for which we wait with joy and full confidence. In other words, there is no doubt about it when the Bible uses the word hope. And this hope is exactly what a young church in Thessalonica needed. And it's exactly what the Apostle Paul wrote to them about. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I want to invite you to go ahead and find 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to be sitting in there all morning together and lots to get through today. So hopefully we'll make it in a nice timely fashion. As you're turning there, here's a bit of background and context for 1 Thessalonians. Paul had actually planted this church in Thessalonica. You can go to Acts chapter 17 and read more about the details of what that looked like and how that, that came about. But what's amazing is he only spent three weekends with this young church and with these new believers. Only three weekends. Why? Because an angry mob arose and actually drove Paul out of Thessalonica. And they were so upset with him and they were so angry that they followed him to the next city and they drove him out of that city also. Well, Paul kind of hops around for a bit, soon finds himself in Corinth, and he sends a co-worker back to Thessalonica to check on the church. His co-worker returns, and he returns with great news, letting Paul know that the church is it's active and it's, and it's thriving. Excited about this, and because he cares deeply about those in Thessalonica, Paul writes this letter. Many believe this letter of 1 Thessalonians is one of the very first letters Paul wrote to any of the churches ever. And so he begins in verse 1 by saying this. He says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you, right? Paul here mentions a couple other guys. He mentions Silvanus, which is another name for Silas, and he mentions Timothy. Now, I don't know how you think about Paul, but when I think about Paul, I think about this amazing man of faith, this discipler, this church planter, a, a guy that was unashamed of, of sharing the gospel. But as great as Paul was, we see here, just in this opening verse, that, that Paul did not do work by himself. That where, whenever he could, Paul worked with a team. And, and this is a great picture for all of us uh, of not doing life alone. And as we start this new year, let me ask us, are you trying to do life alone right now? Are you trying to do life alone or do you have a, a group of people around you that consistently like you can trust in and you can lean on and that can encourage you spiritually and that can come alongside of you? Because God did not intend for us to do life alone. One of our core values here at, at LifePoint is authentic community. That we define as being that we are our family. Now, it's one of the reasons why we're so passionate about life groups around here. And so, just looking at Paul, working with this team, reminded me that, like, I want to encourage you as best as I can. Get connected in a life group. 
get plugged into a life group. Sitting on the seats next to you is our life group catalog for this very first term of the year. I'd encourage you to to open that up. Find the Plain City Life Groups there on page 19. Reach out to a a life group leader. That if the Apostle Paul saw it fit not to do life alone, neither should we. Right? And that's why groups are so important. It's a way that we can be a church that where no one walks, walks alone. And I want to encourage you to, to take that step this new year. Also worthy of noting here in, in verse 1 is how Paul addresses those he's writing to. He says they are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they belong to God and Jesus. Another one of our core values is spiritual intimacy defined by that we are his. That, that a healthy, healthy spirituality in our lives starts with who you belong to. That the best and healthiest version of, of you begins with understanding that you belong to God. That he's your creator, he's your perfect heavenly father, and he wants the best for you. And because he wants the best for you and the best for me, he offers us grace and peace. He offers us grace that brings the sun up each day. He offers us grace that puts breath in our lungs. But he also offers us grace in sending Jesus to die on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins. He offers peace to us. Romans 5.1 reminds us that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That by going to the cross, Jesus essentially makes a peace treaty with God. He pays for our sins so that we can now freely come to God. And when we begin to understand that we have obtained eternal peace with God, we can then begin to lean into the truth that we can have peace in the middle of our earthly circumstances. When things don't go well, when friendships are fractured, when family times are difficult, and when we face struggles in life. That when we belong to God, we receive grace and peace. Paul says in verse 2, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Paul carried this young church in Thessalonica in his heart, and he prayed for them constantly. Now, I don't know how it works for you in your life and what prayer looks like for you in your life, but one of the things I'm encouraged by here is is one word that that Paul mentions, and it's the word mentioning, right? He uses the word mentioning, because sometimes, I don't know about you, I think about prayer, and I'm like, oh my gosh, all these people want want me to pray for them or need to be prayed for, these all these things, and I don't have all that time. Paul just is mentioning here. What a great example that as a name or a church or something came across Paul's mind, he simply mentioned them before God. May not have been a long, t- long prayer time at all, but he constantly made mention to them as the Lord brought them to mind, right? What would it look like? What would it look like this year if we truly began praying for others? What if we, when we said to people, hey, I'm praying for you, we were actually praying for them? What would happen in the midst of our day as, as the Lord brings somebody across our mind if we just stopped and prayed for them right there? We just made mention of them right where we're at. How many times do we run into somebody in the lobby before leaving church or when we're out and about in our daily lives and they're like, hey, would you pray for me? And we go, yeah, sure. What if we stopped right where we were at and prayed with them and prayed for them? Man, Paul constantly prayed for those around him and we can be the same. He continues in verse 3 saying, we remember 
before our God and Father, your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. These folks in Thessalonica were known for three things. They were known for their faith, they were known for their love, and they were known for their hope. And Paul says their faith produced work. In other words, their faith led to action in their lives. In the book of James in chapter 2, it says, So also by faith itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. All right, and just to be clear here, right, Paul and James are not talking about, you know, faith plus works equals salvation. They're not talking about that at all. It's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone that, that we are saved, right? But Paul and James both mention that, hey, out of our faith, out of our faith comes works, comes a labor, Right, that, that the Thessalonian believers had this living and active faith that could clearly be seen. Paul says they also they, they had a labor that was promoted by love. And the word labor used here means to toil. It means strenuous. It means producing sweat. It means weariness. It means fatigue. Here's what Paul is saying and describing. He's saying these Thessalonians, they, they toiled and they fatigued and they they became weary and they had given all for the cause of Christ. And let's just be honest. It doesn't always work that way in our lives, does it? Right? We, we tend to try to fit Jesus into our schedule, into our box, into what works for us. Many times he's the last thing instead of the first thing. And, and when it comes to, to, to laboring for Jesus, many times we'll say, I'm too tired, not today. I'm too busy. I don't have the time. I know that because those are some of the excuses I have used along the way. But Paul says, not these Thessalonians. Why? What made them so different? Well, it's the cost of the love that was given to them that remained in focus for them. The cost of their love was in focus. The cost of the love of God sending his one and only son, Jesus, to die for them. The cost of Jesus stepping down from his throne to come to this earth to seek and to save. It was the cost of, of love, Jesus, perfect and, and sinless, willingly and lovingly saying, hey, I will take everyone's place on the cross and die for your sins. It was that love that was in focus for, for those in this church. And it was that love that fueled their, their service and their work and their labor for the Lord. It was their faith, it was their love, and then Paul says it was steadfast hope. Steadfastness here means long-suffering endurance needed to not only survive during hard times, but also to triumph through them. That it's staying active in the face of difficulty. That when confusion comes, and when problems come, and when, when issues come, it's not hiding in the trenches and, and burying our heads in the sand. Instead, it's being up. It's being active and it's enduring. Paul says, how does all this happen? How, where does all this come from, from the, these, these folks in Thessalonica? He says their faith and their love is driven by hope in and from Jesus. Remember our biblical definition of, of hope, right? It's confidence. It's security. It's having no doubt. And that's, that's exactly what was happening here. 
that faith and that, that hope and that love was having no doubt in, in Jesus. And that really brings us to our, our big idea for this in, entire series that we're going to talk about every week. And that's Jesus is the source of enduring hope. That Jesus is the source of enduring hope. Which makes me ask questions about my own life and, and I guess for all of us. And it's, hey, what fuels us today? What drives you today? What do you have confident hope in this morning? What do you have secure hope in today? Because a lot of folks, they put their, their hope in the approval of others. Hey, what does everybody else think of me? And as long as everybody else thinks I'm okay, then, then I'm okay. A lot of folks put their hope into checking off a to-do list. Look at all that I've accomplished. Look at all that I've done. Some will put their hope in, in religion saying, hey, by the end of life, man, I just I hope I've done just a little bit more good than the bad, that the good outweighs the bad. Some put their faith and their, their hope and their trust in, in their money or their possessions or their material things. Others will put it in knowledge. Look how, how smart I am. Look at all the things that I know. If those are the things that, that drive us, then it's worldly hope that does not endure and will not sustain us. But what if, as we begin this new year, what if, like the Thessalonians, folks could say, hey, we are known for our faith and our love and our hope, which is rooted in and has absolute confidence in that Jesus is who he said he is, has done all that he, that he said he's done, and will do all that he's promised to do, that he truly forgives of sins and he makes us new, and that he lives in us, that he provides and he protects and he, he takes all things in life and he, and he uses it to make us more like him and that he will come again. Paul encourages and, and praises these Thessalonians, these believers for, for these things. And he continues on with his encouragement in verse 4 saying, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. When we love someone, we naturally choose them. And in 1 John 4.19, we're reminded that God chose to love us first. That God accepts us into his family, not because of anything we could do or anything that we have done, and not because of what, what, you know, how good we behave, but it's all based on what Jesus has done, the finished work of Jesus Christ. That it's because of Jesus' shed blood on the cross that we have forgiveness of our sins. Paul explains this more, more fully in Ephesians chapter 1. It's not on the screen, but just, just listen here. He says this. He says, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I love this. He says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that is Jesus, it says, in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. The fact that God chose us does not mean we don't get to choose. The scriptures are clear that both are true and both happen. However, if God never chose me and you, we would have never chosen him. His choosing is way more important than my choosing. And I know what a handful of you are thinking. Is this the time we're going to get into the debate on election and predestination and all of that stuff right now? 
And the answer is no, because it misses the most important thing that Paul says here. Don't miss it. Paul says here, the most important thing about you is that God loves you. Did you pick up on that? The most important thing about you is that God loves you. He says, brothers loved by God. How amazing is that? How wonderful is that? Do you know that today? I hope you know that today. The most important thing about you is that God loves you, that he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins so that you can have a relationship with him. Paul encourages the Christians at Thessalonica with this because, verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. He says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. The gospel is always in word. The gospel is a message from heaven. The gospel deals with facts. The gospel reveals truths about God and truths about us. It extends an invitation. It calls out. It warns. People need to be told the gospel. It is in word. But it's not only in word. It's in power. The word power here used in verse 5 is, is dunamis, which means unrestricted, free to go wherever it may. It means unequaled power. It's where we get our English word dynamite from. We could say it like this, that the gospel is God's dynamite power to change us. The gospel is God's dynamite power to change us. I attest to this because I remember in eighth grade going to a, a Christian camp, had no idea it was a Christian camp, had never opened up my Bible, had never heard the gospel, no one ever talked to me about Jesus, no one ever talked to me about sin, and on Wednesday night, I'm sitting out underneath a pavilion with hundreds of students, and, and the camp pastor shares the gospel that night, and it exploded into my life. And it rocked my world. And in that moment, I had truths revealed about myself and about who God was and who Jesus was and what he had done. And I surrendered my life to Jesus that night because the gospel exploded onto the scene for me. The gospel is God's dynamite power to change us. And Paul says this power came from the Holy Spirit. I love that. Because if you're around long enough, you know that, that people can be filled with words of, of knowledge. People can be filled with words of eloquence and precision. They can win a biblical argument. They can win a spiritual debate. They can apologetics somebody from another religion or a non-Christian to death, all without the power of the Holy Spirit and miss the opportunity to win that person to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that works in the hearts of people to convict and to confront and to instruct. And Paul says, hey, this power from the Holy Spirit, it wasn't only displayed in our words. He says it was displayed in our life. He says to the Thessalonians, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you, how we lived among you for your sake. What a great reminder for us that it's not just what comes out of our mouths that what matters. And it's not just what comes out of our lives that matters, but it's both that matter. That our words must have the power of the Holy Spirit backed up by a life changed by the gospel. That everything about Christianity is supernatural and we are to walk in the spirit of God each and every moment of every day. This is how Paul lived his life. This is 
how and why in verse 6, and this is amazing, he says to the Thessalonians, that you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and to Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us, concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul says the Thessalonians received the word in much affliction. They received the gospel in much affliction. What does this, this mean? Well, when someone receives Jesus into their lives, many folks think like, you know what, this, this is it. Life gets easy. I get everything I want. Circumstances all work out my way. But we all know that that's not what happens. That when we follow Jesus, it's taking the road less traveled. It's turning from the things of this world and turning to Jesus. That Christianity is, is alien to this world. That the world no longer accepts us as one of their own. And it's living the rest of our lives on this earth, on enemy territory. And because of that, affliction comes. Suffering comes. Persecution can come. The Thessalonians lived in a culture where they worshipped idols. And they served false gods. This was commonplace for them. Even their economy was driven by the manufacturing of all of these false idols. And verse 9 lets us know that the Thessalonians turned from these things and they turned to God. Imagine this for a moment, right? They are the very first ones in all of the city to put their faith and trust in Jesus. They're the very first ones to ever do church in, in, in their, their city. It's amazing. This caused an uproar. This caused an uproar. It would have angered friends. It would have irritated and upset relatives. It would have led to, to persecution. For some of them, it would have cost them their, their jobs. This is why they received the word in much affliction. I remember when Kelly, my, my wife, accepted Jesus. Um, I didn't ask to share this story, so I'm just going with it. So I'll repent later, maybe. Um, <clears throat> I remember... When she accepted Jesus into her life, we were getting ready for, for our wedding. Um, and she had some lifelong friends in, in her bridal party, right? And these lifelong friends began to make life miserable for her as we headed into, into our wedding. They could not stand the fact that Kelly had become a Christian and had turned from her old life and began to follow Jesus. And, and it... It just upset the cart so much that Kelly had to ask them to get out of the wedding and not even come. It got that bad. She did so with grace and, and with gentleness, but it was just a reminder of, of a life turning from the old and turning to, to Jesus, right? And, and there's so many others out there that, that do that in much more dire circumstances than, than a, a bridal party or a wedding party. But when we turn from sin, and we turn from this world, it's a clear indication of gospel power in our lives, of belonging to Jesus, of a life changed. And when that happens, something else happens, just like the Thessalonians. Something sounds forth. Verse 8 says, the word of the Lord sounded forth from them, that their faith in God had gone forth everywhere. All of a sudden, like Paul, their life and their words matched up. 
And there were moments in their life where, where their words, through their words, it was evident that their lives were changed by Jesus Christ. And then there were these moments when no one needed to say a thing that their life simply spoke of how the gospel in Jesus Christ changed them. And, and, and it's amazing, Paul goes on to, to share that how they got there, how they got there was that they imitated Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Think about this for a moment. Jesus was Paul's model. Paul was Silas and Timothy's model. The three of them became the Thessalonians' model. And the Thessalonians became the model for all believers in, in Greece. What a beautiful reality that a life changed by the gospel is a life that sounds forth faith, love, and hope in Jesus. I wonder if that describes us today. I hope it does. Now we're running out of time and I got to bring us to a, a close. But before I do, I want to ask some questions of all of us, myself included. What's sounding forth from our mouths today? What's sounding forth from our lives today? Who can you be a model for today? Could you look at someone and say, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus? Could you say to someone, you imitate me and imitate my faith? And this, this applies for all of us, right? Teenagers, young adults, single, married, empty nester. Could we look at someone and say, follow me as I follow Jesus? If you're like me, and there's times I say, I don't know, or absolutely not, because I start to think about all of my shortcomings and all of my failures and all of my flaws and all of my imperfections. But here's what God's been teaching me through some amazing people in my life. You're not supposed to be perfect. You can't be perfect. I can't be perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. But we can be authentic. We can look at others and say, I have issues, I'm flawed, and I'm going to fail. But my desire is to follow and please and love the one who loved me first and chose me. That I'm going to mess up along the way. And when I do, I'm going to repent and I'm going to ask for forgiveness. But I want my love and I want my fellowship to be an authentic example to others. Because the world needs to see lives changed by the gospel. That it's got to be more than just us having a New Year's resolution or turning over a new leaf or simply trying to be better. It's people seeing the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. It's people seeing love Joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, and self-control in us. It's them seeing a permanent change in our lives. A confident hope in Jesus thanks to the gospel. And listen, we really want to challenge you with this through this series. We want to challenge all of us with this through this series. So here's, here's what we're going to do. Here's the challenge that, that I'm going to lay out before you and that each of our campuses are laying out before everyone this morning. We want to spend the next four weeks in 1 Thessalonians together. And to help with that, we, we've come up with some ideas. So here's what we're challenging you to do. This, this coming week, we want you to read one chapter of Thessalonians a day. One, one, just one chapter. That means if you start tomorrow, you'll be finished with Thessalonians by Friday. Some of you may not know, only five chapters, right? You can do it. You can say, I finished a whole book of the Bible. I have a friend, his name is Steve Demi. He says it takes eight minutes 
Eight minutes to read one chapter. We've all got eight minutes. We've all got eight minutes in our day. So let's read through one chapter of Thessalonians every day this coming week. Next Sunday, we're going to release a, a devotional that our team put together that will carry us through the remainder of the series that you'll be able to access on our app. So just a reminder, download our app so you can access that, that devotional. You say, why did you guys go through all this effort? Why did people put a devotional together? Because one of the best ways to grow in our faith and be an example for others is to spend consistent time in the Word of God. It's to spend consistent time in prayer. And reading through 1 Thessalonians in this devotional will help us do just that. As we close, the last thing Paul says to us in chapter 1, he, he asks the Thessalonians to, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We don't always like to think about God's wrath or talk about God's wrath. But Paul was not afraid to talk about it. But what's neat is he always balanced it with the love of God as we've seen here today. Right? The reality is, is that Jesus is coming back. And I say that with biblical hope. Confidence. Security. As no doubt. And he's coming back not to seek and save. When he comes back this time, he's coming back for judgment. He's coming back and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And for all those who don't belong or are in him, the wrath of God against sin will fall upon them. And that's not a pleasant reality, but it is a reality and that's what's at stake. And anyone who does not belong to Jesus, right, is going to be stuck underneath that wrath. But anyone who does belong to Jesus can have hope that they will be delivered from that wrath. Lastly, we see that Jesus brings unshakable, unmovable, confident, secure hope of everlasting peace with God. I wonder, do you have that today? Do you have that unshakable, unmovable, confident, secure hope of everlasting peace with God today? Because Paul told the Thessalonians to hold on to that confident hope. And he would tell us to hold on to the same. In the meantime, until that day, let's apply what Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and the Thessalonians applied. Faith, love, and hope sounding forth our mouths and our lives in reaching those around us with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, so that like many of us, they too can be in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for including this letter to the Thessalonians in your word. Thank you for how it challenges us and how it reminds us of the importance of belonging to you, to being in you. Thank you for this amazing example of love and faith and hope. Again, may that come in and from you in our lives today. And Lord, if someone's here saying, I don't have that. When Jesus comes back again, I don't, I don't know if I'll be saved from that wrath. You can be today. You can be today by simply calling out to God saying, God, forgive me of my sins. I want to belong. 
I want to be in. I believe that Jesus came. I believe that Jesus died, and I believe that he rose again. And today, I'm inviting you into my life. May the gospel explode into my life and change me. I don't know what all that looks like today, but I'm just saying, I'm in. Thank you for choosing me today. I'm choosing you, Lord. You can do that right where you're, you're seated. Father, as we go today, may the truth of Jesus Christ be evident in our lives and in our mouths everywhere we go for your glory's sake.